Please join me for the prayer for illumination by speaking the words in bold after I say mine. Lord, speak to us that we may speak. As you have sought, so let us seek. O fill us with fullness, Lord. Enkindling thought and glowing word. Amen. Now please join me for the Old Testament reading. It is taken from Psalm 87, found on page 596 to 597 on your pew Bibles. He has founded his city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me, Philistia too, and Tyre along with Cush. And I will say, this one was born in Zion. Indeed, of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. As they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading today comes from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. We're in chapter 2, beginning with verse 1 and going to verse 12. It's on 1186 of your pew Bibles. It would be good to have your Bibles open uh, for the whole of the message so I can refer you to different things. Page 1186, 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. Let us hear God's word. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though, as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone 
while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So we are in the second part now of a six-week meditation uh, that we're calling People and Pastor. And as I said last week, this is not to give me a chance to talk about myself or even so much about my position, but rather to catch a glimpse, to get a whiff, as it were, of Paul's vision for what it is like for a church and its leaders and those that follow to live together in Christian harmony. And today we're talking about how we are together as God's people, kinfolk, how we are the family of God as we've just so appropriately sung together. And so we'll talk about how we will have to be fatherly together, we'll be motherly as well, how we'll in a sense be childlike and how together we are most fundamentally siblings, fatherly, motherly, childlike, and siblings. So let's just take each of these one at a time, shall we? First of all, Paul's vision is that those that lead among us will be fatherly. I've been reading a few histories of the Swiss Reformation, and one author talks about the Genevan reformer John Calvin and his deep interest in this concept, this idea that goes all the way back to Roman times called clemency, clemency. Have you ever heard of this? I'd heard the word, but I didn't know what it meant, really, until this history. Clemency is the ability to know when and how mercy should be applied without, at the same time, sacrificing what is good and right and just. Do you get the flavor of it? We'll do what's good and right and appropriate and just, but we will temper our justice with mercy. Paul was, from his letters, we can see a master of pastoral clemency. He didn't pastor with blind impartiality. He pastored with his eyes wide open, with his heart wide open. And so as a pastor, his aim was not the execution of strict justice, but rather his aim was the growth in grace of people and churches all across the ancient Roman world where he ministered. Churches and people, after all, who needed just the right pastoral touch to spur them on in love for one another and in obedience to Christ. So Paul had, in addition to tough skin, a soft heart. How fatherly of him. In fact, I'm so kind of obsessed recently with this idea of clemency that I will give 20 Swiss francs to someone who has a child and names that child either Clement or Clements. I'm just saying, 20 Swiss francs is the offer. Now, it may make sense, as some people have told me, for the train conductors here in Switzerland to come along and to not be preoccupied with this idea of clemency, right? It makes the trains run on time that they show no mercy. 
and I have heard that they show no mercy, not to dumb foreigners like myself, um, not to anyone. But no one thinks that a train conductor is the model for child rearing. And Paul is, of course, no train conductor in his ministry. More important than the trains running on time for Paul is that we be prepared for the day of the coming of the Lord. And so he is taking the long view and is patient like a father. Verse 11, he says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. So how does a father deal with his own children, Paul? Paul says, verse 12, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So we pastors and leaders and elders need to be fatherly among you. That doesn't mean, of course, that you need to call me Father Andy, although maybe just once that would be fun uh, to hear. But if we are going to strive for a Thessalonian dynamic here in the midst of our congregation as people and pastor, then the reality is you will have to bear with a good bit of my urging. I am going to urge you to follow the Lord. And you're going to have to adopt, therefore, a disposition in which you don't just follow my example when I'm being Christ-like, but that you open your heart as well as your ears and your eyes and your lives to what I'm teaching you from God's word about how to honor and glorify him in our lives. And I hate, believe me, I hate how authoritarian that sounds. It bugs me. And so here's my promise to you. I won't take an authoritarian approach as I instruct you. Because after all, my authority is not coercive. My authority here among you is persuasive. I can't actually make anyone do anything. But I am called by God and commissioned by him to seek to persuade you to draw near to Jesus and to follow hard after him with your life. And so you need to open your lives to my instruction, as awkward as that sounds, in such a way that you're able to receive it, to take it to heart, to discern where it fits in your life and what obedience, not to me, but to the Lord Jesus, might look like as we open the scriptures together and seek to live according to them. And if it's Christian and if it's biblical counsel, then you need to receive it and not dismiss it. But I also promise you, as Paul does to the Thessalonians, that I will not only teach you from God's word, with words, how to live lives worthy of God, but I promise also to be encouraging as I see your growth and your progress. To comfort you when you feel like you've failed, when you've had spiritual setbacks, when you've sinned and fallen flat on your face spiritually. To remind you of his kingdom and his glory, and to point you to that kingdom of Christ's rather than calling attention to myself and to my authority. That's my pledge to you. It's not about me. It's about the Lord Jesus, after all. Verse 6, Paul puts it this way. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Not only our pastors, but all of our leaders at IPC are called to this singularity of purpose never lording our position over you, 
but serving you and serving one another in love with the hope of seeing those of you who follow us actually outgrow us. Isn't that a father and a mother's desire? To see your children outgrow you in well-being and especially spiritually speaking. To see you make a greater impact than we in the kingdom of God. To experience a greater anticipation of the glory that is to come when the Lord Jesus returns than even we do. To be Pauline in our church, those of us who lead will have to be, first of all, fatherly. But second of all, and I think this is my favorite thing, we'll have to be motherly. Are you ready for this? This is one of my favorite things in all of the Bible. This is one of the things that is so cool that it's, it, it makes me know deep in my gut that Christianity is true. What is this thing that gets me going so much? Verse 7, Paul and his colleagues say, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. Isn't it astonishing that Paul could describe himself and his adult male colleagues not just as fathers to children, but as mothers to nursing babies? Isn't that phenomenal? Now, when I was growing up, being called girly was one of the worst insults that a boy could receive. You throw like a girl. You look like a girl. Be tough. You're acting like such a girl. But for Paul, all of that childish stuff is behind him. He's in Christ now. And so he can unselfconsciously call himself not just a mother, but a nursing mother tenderly nurturing the infants of the Thessalonian church. Now, this is a challenge for all of us to be motherly, but especially for us men, isn't it? Especially those of us men who lead in various ways. Now, globally, you know, of course, that we're beginning to reckon with what has sometimes been called toxic masculinity, right? With all the ways in which guys trying to be tough have instead become toxic, Toxic to families, toxic in their workplaces, toxic in churches even, and all kinds of other places where there are women and girls that deserve so much better from men. So let me ask you this, men. Could someone watch you serve other people, speak to other people, teach other people, and think to themselves, you know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of a mother breastfeeding her baby. Look how gently he cares for these people. It's awkward, but it's beautiful. And if someone said that to you, you should receive it as the biggest compliment in the world. You would be becoming Pauline. And what is it that Paul did that was so... (laughs) I didn't mean that, but that's funny. And what was it that Paul did that was so motherly? Verse 8, he says, We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. What is a pastor supposed to be like among the people of a church? A pastor is supposed to be not just a verbal messenger of the gospel climbing up into this big pulpit of ours Sunday after Sunday to deliver sermons from on high, although that's fun, but also someone who 
does what? Who takes up residence among and opens their lives to a people, a church. What is an elder supposed to be? Not just a board member that makes policies and decisions around the table, although that's fun for some people as well. An elder, rather, is a life unfurled in loving service before a congregation that they serve. The opened life, after all, of a Christian toward other Christians is the very way that the message of the cross gets fleshed out from day to day in our lives. As Tim Keller has pointed out, when God wanted to reveal himself through his son Jesus, what did he do? He sent Jesus to live among us. And so he says that Jesus didn't commute to Palestine from heaven every day. He moved in to the neighborhood. And so his disciples watched him laugh and watched him cry. They watched him get tired, get sleepy, get excited, get hungry, get annoyed. They heard people call him a drunkard and a glutton for enjoying feasts with tax collectors and sinners. They were around when his soul was full of anguish. Because the heart of Jesus was open to his disciples. And we know this because his very life was open to his disciples. His life was open, wasn't it, all the way to the point of death. And so that's what Paul means when he says that he is like a nursing mother. Just yesterday, my good friend Dominique posted a picture. She just became a mother for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Posted a picture on Facebook of her kissing her little baby boy, Elliot. And the caption of this says, I kiss him all the time, even when he's screaming his head off at me. (laughs) And I thought once again, how Paul-like. That's the open life sort of affection that all of us that lead should have. We will be fatherly, but we will be, Paul says, motherly as well. And third, and it gets interesting here, We will be as children. We actually don't know for sure what this verse says in the original Greek. It could be one or the other thing. There's only one letter that distinguishes children or babies from gentle. And so maybe Paul's saying we were gentle among you. Maybe he's saying we were children. I think when you weigh all the evidence, I lean a little bit towards children. After all, he's already called himself a brother a father, a nursing mother, and then later in verse 17, he's going to call himself an orphan. So why wouldn't he say he was like a baby among them? Calvin, who we mentioned earlier, says that whenever God speaks to us to instruct us, it's as though he speaks with lisps. He speaks baby talk to us. Why? So that we can understand his divine ways. It's as though he gets down on the rug with us and says, goo goo ga ga, And yes, 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 no, 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 until we can understand how he's communicating his simple love and joyful affection and his genuine concern for us. He speaks, thank God, baby talk to us. And so the pastors and leaders among us, we can't be too dignified and too full of ourselves to speak plainly. It's actually in my ordination vows that I would preach the gospel Not just in its purity, but in its simplicity. And so I give you permission. If I start using big words to try to impress you, you can just remind me that Paul was smart, but that he spoke 
plainly and simply. Why? So that it would be Jesus, after all, and not the preacher who was the one at the end of the day who was impressive among us. And all of us should be childlike. We should all be absolutely willing to give a children's sermon, to teach a Sunday school class, to get down on our hands and knees during coffee hour and encourage a three-year-old child in our congregation. Tell them about Jesus and his love for little children. Are we too good for that? May it not be. We are family. So we need some of us and all of us sometimes to quit taking ourselves so seriously and get on the rug and be kids. The disciples turned kids away and Jesus rebuked them and told them not just to welcome these children, but to be like these children. And so as modern disciples of Jesus, let's have the joy and the humility and the simplicity of children as we nurture those who are following our example. The church, after all, is a nursery. And we're all a bunch of babies, at least in some senses, from the oldest of us to the youngest. And you know what? Jesus delights in our childlike faith. So we're fatherly, we're motherly, in a way we're childlike. But last, and certainly not least, we are and most fundamentally, sisters and brothers. So in South Korea, where I lived for the past three years, when it comes down to it, age rules. It's not how tall you are or how many push-ups you can do or um, how long you've been at the company. It's how old you are that matters. Always an older woman or man will be shown deference and will be given honorific titles by a younger woman or a man. And so when two people who seem like they're peers, about the same age, meet each other, they will scramble to ascertain who's the older one here. They'll even find out that they're born in the same year and say, yes, but what day were you born? And then this signals to them how they are supposed to relate to one another. And there's some things about this that I find not just charming, but, but kind of actually um, beautiful and right. We've lost some of this respect for people who are our elders in many parts of our culture. But on the other hand, I'm not sure that that's the way that it always is supposed to work in the context of a Christian community. Because most fundamentally, before there are mothers and fathers, and before there are children in the Christian family, before there's any ranking or system of dues paying or honor showing or authority, before the Mature Christians are distinguished from the baby Christians. In a Christian community, there is one primary and overarching relationship. And what is it? Sister and brother. Why? Why not start first with the lines of authority? And then, you know, then we can figure out where we can be chummy and act like brothers and sisters once the hierarchy is established. Well, because after all, here we are, creatures made from the dust by the immortal, invisible, only wise God. The God who speaks and worlds are created. And then this God stoops down to us and allows us to call him Father. You know, J.I. Packer says that you know how much Christianity means to someone's heart by how much delight they take in the fact that they get to call God 
Father. And God has allowed this to us. This is really intimate for an all-powerful, world-creating God. But then God goes beyond that, doesn't he? The Father sends the Lord Jesus to be among us. And Jesus, who is the instrument of, of the creation of all things, and who rules all things, and who has defeated sin and death and hell by his triumphant and powerful resurrection from the dead, this Rabbi Jesus, you know what he says to his disciples? He says, no longer do I call you servants. John 15, I now call you friends. Because after all, Jesus says, I've let you in on all my father's aims and his desires. I've unfurled and exegeted his heart to you. You're now full partners in the family business. You are bona fide sons and daughters. And it gets better than this, actually. The author to the Hebrews says that the one who is made holy, you and me, and the one who makes people holy, God, the Son, the Lord Jesus, are of the same family. And then these marvelous words are added. Hebrews 2. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So get this. The God who dwells in unapproachable light has camped out here with his creatures of dust in the Lord Jesus and has not only made us family, but has named us his siblings, sister and brother. Yes, Jesus is and always will be the one and only natural son, and we are the adopted sons and daughters. Yes, he is the elder brother and always will be, and we're the younger sisters and brothers. Yes, he remains the only savior and redeemer. We don't do any of that. And we still call him Lord and act as his servants. This is all true, but his disposition toward us, his smile toward us, is not one of domineering, authoritarian coercion. Instead, he draws us into such intimate fellowship with him that we're not just family, but we are his younger sisters and brothers. And unlike the system, you may have heard of it, of primogeniture, where the oldest son gets the lion's share of the father's inheritance, Jesus says that all that he has, he gives to us, his siblings, as our own rightful inheritance. And so before we elevate apostles, pastors, missionaries, elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers, or anyone else in our Christian community to the position of father or bishop or reverend or doctor in the faith, we need to stop and we need to grasp this most fundamental point, which Jesus himself makes clear. While some people take all the wrong kind of pleasure in the world in being called by these honorific titles, Jesus says what in Matthew 22? Don't let anyone call you rabbi. For you have one teacher, and you are all brothers and sisters. As Paul says here in verse 7, when we're together as God's people, and pastor, and elders, and deacons, and kids, and choir, there should be a sense in which all of the hierarchies disappear, and we are as unselfconscious in our playful love with one another, 
for one another as children running around the schoolyard. So, beloved children of God, in this season that we have ahead of us, let's relish the privilege of being the kinfolk of the living and true God, the younger siblings of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us, after all, not only his gospel in words, he's given us his gospel, as we'll celebrate later on, in the form of his very life, poured out for us, opened wide to us. And this gift of his is life abundant for us. So as we take on responsibility of loving service and leadership for one another, let's open our lives and open our hearts as wide as Jesus has, whether we're pastoring or encouraging or whether we're making church policy or whether we're hosting coffee hour or anything that we're leading and doing for the sake of one another. Because the Lord Jesus is not ashamed to call us sisters and brothers. Isn't it a marvelous thing to be in the family of God? Gracious God, we thank you for this privilege, which we are so quick to forget. We pray that you would sear your word into our hearts so that we never forget to whom we belong, a loving heavenly father and a loving elder brother, the Lord Jesus. So we pray by your spirit that we'd go from this place refreshed and encouraged and with a deeper sense of our kindred affection and bonds for one another. Help us to serve out of that affection. And so help us to be like the Lord Jesus until the day he returns and calls his whole family home. We make our prayer together in his name. Amen.